Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for Accredited Investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. What's up, folks? It's uh, June 2022 monthly market update. We're, we're going to be going through a bunch of news articles impacting investors Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for Accredited Investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. And if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to type it into the chat. But we are giving away free ebooks of the Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. You guys can check this out at simplepassivecashflow.com slash book, which you can also check out the audio book version of it there too. So we also put these monthly updates at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter if you want to go back to the archives. I've been doing this for maybe several months now. But I'm always looking for more feedback for you guys. We also put this on the podcast. And if you guys are on the podcast, come back to the website and get access to these videos because there's a lot of you know, cool pictures and colors and more importantly, graphs and other graphics I think you might be uh, missing in just the audio format on the podcast. My first article here, Boeing to relocate headquarters to Arlington. And they are moving away from Chicago. Nobody wants to live in Chicago anymore, Illinois, because it's a state that's going downhill really fast. But they are moving from Chicago to Arlington, Virginia. John Burns Consulting had this great article about creative land development. And here are some things to expect from land development this year. Uh, more built to rent projects in emerging submarkets. I think this is you're going to start to see this get overheated at some point. You're starting to see preparing for higher density zoning as evident in a lot of zoning law changes in places like California, which is the, the start of all this. A lot of single family home predominant neighborhoods. We make some room for more people. So they're opening up the, the zoning. Stronger ties between master plans and environmental social governments initiatives and provide more suburban walkability. Multi-housing news also reports that Middleburg kicks off construction of a Jacksonville single-family rental project. So this is just an example of a 250-unit development in Jacksonville, Florida, one of those kind of up-and-coming emerging markets. Arbor. So Arbor is one of the, the large direct Fannie May, Freddie Mac type of lenders. And this article talked about affordability crisis deepens policies and market shifts in support of affordability. It's no secret. You know, it's getting more and more expensive for people. Some will say that's probably the affordability is getting to a point prior to 2008 recession levels to a point where it's really hard for people to afford houses to live in. I frankly think that most people in America are should be renters, but whatever I think Nobody cares about, I guess. So Arbor 
there's this uh, housing choice voucher program, which is receiving increased attention and funding. The proposed 2023 federal budget calls for a 17.4 increase in a program allocations. This is all part of that Consolidation Appropriations Act of 2022. Warren says, Aloha, Warren. So states are increasingly adopting new measures to encourage the development of an affordable supply, including state income housing tax credits for new developers or building builders. Those are like, if you've never seen these things, there's all kinds of shapes and forms. Here in Hawaii, it's just a myriad of really radical ways they're doing it here in Hawaii. But you know, on the mainland, predominantly, it's a permit or we'll go out and they might have some kind of good tax credits or lending credits for a builder. But the the deal is a certain amount of the units, say 10% of units have to be reserved for low-income people at the low-income rent. And you know, take that backstory even further, at one point, I don't think this is in like the 1980s or 1990s. The government had this idea where they would just stick all the low-income people all in one place and just have a bunch of housing projects. And of course, we all know that was a failure as it was a seeding ground for a lot of crime and just really bad area. They realized that they need to sprinkle low-income folks all over the place to spread it around. Of course, that clashes with the idea of not in my backyard. I don't want those people there, whether that's right or wrong or not. But that's been brought that to the forefront. But more and more, that trend is going to be increasing. So if you live in a nice area, maybe you should live in an even nicer area because that stuff is going to be coming to your front door. If you guys want to Google and, and research this more, you guys can look up an acronym called AHTC. I don't know exactly what it stands for. Each state or municipality, they call these things different things. But that's the one of the housing programs that they're talking about. Fannie Mae also reports that economic growth forecasts downgraded as a soft landing appears increasingly unlikely. They're citing expectations of aggressive monetary policy tightening through the remainder of this year and into 2023, aka rising interest rates, less free money, pumping up stocks for is basically what they're saying. And then of course the ongoing stemming of Russian invasion of Ukraine and the tightening of the supply chain. I'm actually just kidding there. I just threw in that supply chain because it sounded really cool. And it seems like everybody are using those three things in conjunction with each other, even though it doesn't really apply in some cases. But it's just, I make fun of it because and I think at any point you can say, here are two or three things that we're uncertain about in the future. And there's always going to be uncertainty. But that's why I say just invest in things that cash flow that have a good debt service coverage ratio up front. And then you don't really have to worry about a recession or anything really big happening. Because if time, if the storm comes, you just hold on and cash flow. Keep calm, cash flow on, as we say. But we saw a bunch of the rents growing. And we're also now seeing the growth slow down which does not mean that it's going backwards. It's just not going up at an astronomical 5 6 7 8% per year pace anymore. There's a joke here. Is there's that the Biden's Build Back Better government stimulus plan, and there's a swing set built next to a wall. The swings can't work on a wall, but this is how the government does things. It puts money into the system. And I don't want to get political or anything like that. I, I'd rather we spend our time. Let's focus on ways where we can make money and where is the money going, not argue whether it's the right places or not. Here, housingwire.com 
reports that Fannie Mae cuts origination projections, forecasts the recession in 2023. And of course, a lot of news sources will always make that prediction. Not many people actually read the damn article, which we'll try and do a little bit of it here. Fannie Mae has lowered its mortgage origination forecast from 2022 and 2023 due to Federal Reserve's Fed inflation fighting monetary policy. Basically, their interest rates are... But I'll translate that mortgage origination forecast. So what they're saying is they're allocating, they're anticipating less mortgages being originated, which makes sense, right? Because I think you're already starting to see this happen across the country, at least in the really overheated areas where people aren't paying that crazy inflated price as they once did maybe a few months ago. It's to do with affordability with interest rates going up and the the borrowing capacity of homeowners going down. Going back to the article, Fannie's economic and strategic research group dropped its projection single-family mortgage origination volume for 2022 from $3 trillion to $2.8 trillion, which is like barely anything if you guys do the math at home. That's that's maybe 5-7%. So it's a, it is a, a change in the original projections. It also downsized the 2023 forecast from $2.7 trillion to $2.4 trillion. It, it at one time compared 2021 where the total was 4.5 trillion. So it's around half of what it was in 2021. And this kind of makes sense. Higher interest rates reduce borrowers' appetite for refinancing, which is expected to decline from 58% of the mix to 32% this year. So the refinances are definitely going down. And I think I saw another article around like this past year was like the biggest year, biggest boom year if you were a mortgage lender on the money grab year, basically. So all that is going away as there really isn't a logical reason why you want to be um, refinancing for regular people, right? I'm just saying at any point in time where you have equity, it's good to tap that equity and do a refinance. But for the lay people, and that's what we mostly were talking about in these articles, it logically for them doesn't make sense to really do this refinancing activity, which is why volumes for Fannie Mae product are. According to Duncan, households with a 30-year fixed mortgage rate of 3% are unlikely to give that up in favor of a rate closer to 5%, a lock-in rate that will weigh on home sales. So that's exactly what we're talking about. But a sophisticated investor doesn't really give a rip about the difference between paying 3% versus 6%. If they can get access to more money, if their property went up in those years. And that's the difference between a sophisticated investor and a lay investor. But the lay investors are the majority, and that's what drives the markets and these numbers. Multifamily net operating income growth across the country. So basically, this is like cap rates in a way that the profits are going up, mostly because the rents are going up across states like Arizona, Florida, Texas, Georgia, and the Carolinas experienced a heavy influx of population growth during the pandemic. The NOI changes we have seen are not surprising, says Trep.com. Back to some Arbor publications here. They're saying the top Q1 2022 small multifamily investment trends report says the economy shrank at a 1.4% seasonally adjusted rate in the first quarter of 2020. Still not really something that people should really freak out about. It was just growing at a crazy pace. And you can see this by the chart here. You know I mean? If you drew a level line between 2020 and 2022, it just seems like your average general growth. But with that 2021, that was just a crazy year of crazy 
maybe you could call that pent up demand. It is a technically a decrease in last year. Multifamily transaction activities surged in the last year. The refinances, then they fell off. Prices are definitely going up. And especially in the last you know few months, pricing has just really skyrocketing, which is And I think this is like where I see a lot of investors go wrong with this. They're like, let me just wait until it goes down. No different than buying a primary residence. Just wait, play the waiting game or just play the game where I'm just making some semi-logical excuse not to do anything. Best time to buy was yesterday, especially if you're buying something for cash flow. With prices going up, cap rates come down is the result. Here's a chart showing that. But as we all know, as I always say, I try and get people off of the interest rate idea. And it's more the spread between the cap rates between and the interest rates. You're seeing that spread pretty consistent here on this graph on the right side. Pretty much from 2010, it's been between 300 to 500 bips trading within that range. And that is the important thing for investors because you take that kind of essentially your profits, you multiply that by your leverage and that's pretty much how you're making money as an investor and in good times and bad times and when interest rates go up and cap rates go down you know, that that spread remains pretty consistent the one good thing in the economy as you've seen is loan to value ratios are you know, pretty healthy at this point because people's equity positions have definitely gone up and there is a lot of people with a lot of pent-up savings and liquidity wealthmanagement.com reports Blackstone pushes sector strength. C- CRE push suggests the sector strength and then uncertainty. They've, they've been doing some new real estate acquisitions and the uh, $6 billion deal of a new portfolio of companies specializing in affordable housing. There's that word. And then according to Blackstone chief investment strategist, what does he know? Of course, I'm being sarcastic. These guys know, these guys are the smartest guys in the room, these Blackstone guys, which is why we follow them. It says, a resilient and bullish housing sector is one reason the U.S. remains a safe bet for capital, while much of the world faces turbulent times due to the war in Ukraine. This is the old thing that's kind of resurfacing as, it's getting, as the program's getting restarted, as this is a means where, you know, as a foreign investor, they could put money into the United States to essentially buy their way into the country. Some people didn't really like it. It was a good way of getting money into the country. It, it shut off September, or it shut off recently, but now it's kind of getting reauthorized through September 30th, 2027. So some, you know, for past investors, I don't know if this is a really a thing to really be on the lookout for. I do hear things like from other countries like China, it's harder. They don't want their residents' money to leave the country for obvious reasons. But maybe if anything, this is a great thing to show off to your friends over wine to saying that something is at a project. But anyway, some of you guys care about that. Bloomberg Law reports that Blackstone to pay $505 million for Herbshaw Hospitality Hotels. Now, this is a uh, seven urban hotels and this is their uh, hospitality sector. So Blackstone will, they have so many different things they invest in. And uh, mostly, I don't want to say mostly, but a lot of it is in that hard asset, real estate category, apartments, different different types of commercial real estate. And they've got like their hotel side. And they've got all kinds of investments. Redfin News reports influx of people moving into Phoenix, Tampa, and Atlanta. And there's a nice little graph here graphing the 
consumer price index percent change versus the Redfin net flow of user migration. So the cluster up at the top are Phoenix, Miami, Tampa, and Atlanta, Georgia. Also, Redfin is also saying migration hotspots in the Sun Belt are home to the nation's highest inflation rates. Phoenix prices of goods and services rose 10.9% year over year, first quarter on average, the highest inflation rate of the metros in this analysis. Next was Tampa, and then San Francisco, New York, Washington, D followed the opposite trend, which tops. So those were their inflation rates were at 5.2%, the lowest in the country, roughly half that of Phoenix, Tampa, and Atlanta. New York was the second lowest inflation rate at 5.4%, probably because we had a lot of people move out of San Francisco, New York, these city clusters during the pandemic. And we've been seeing people move back into those locations. But I think a lot of this is just, you know, this type of statistic takes takes a while to play through and work its slack through the system. So we're still seeing a lot of that. But these three markets, in particular, San Francisco, New York, Washington, D.C., and, and you know, they also say Los Angeles here. These are the perennial low-cap markets where everybody wants to be in, a, in the foreseeable future. Nationwide prices were up 8.5% year-over-year, the highest rate in 40 years. And policymakers, including the Fed, consider a 2% an acceptable level of inflation. Real page reports apartment renters renewing leases at record levels even as rents increase. So rents are increasing, but hey, they vote with their wallets. They continue to stay and pay. So more than 57% of market rent rate renters with an expiring lease renewed over the last 12 months, up 3.5 percentage points. And this is in comparison to apartment retention between 2010 and 2019, where it averaged 51.5% before the COVID era, the post-COVID era, where things started to soar. And we're starting to see this, this trend of rent growth decoupling from apartment demand. And what This is a, a graph from ALN showing the civilian labor force and the participation rate. The size of the nature, nation, national labor force contracted in April, which you would think would be bad, but the development was the reason few people were employed in April and March, even as the employment rate remained at 3.6%. So the way I look at it is this monthly fluctuations will happen. I think it's a little bit of just slack working its way through the system, but still, I, I, don't, I try not to look at this stuff on a month-to-month basis or even on a quarterly basis, but I'm forced to in these monthly reports with you guys. But I just still look at it more from an annual basis. And overall, like things are still just going up slowly. Not as it was in 2021, because I think there was a lot of pent up demand there, but it's just still still going up. And most of the stuff that I'm reading is 2022 will continue on this, but 2023, you might see even more slowing growth. And some people are calling that a recession. Yeah, I guess technically, if you compare it to how amazing 2021 and the first half of 2022, I guess you could say in relative, relative space, but I'm just not really seeing anything like really monumental happening. I think, you know, that might be the last right now and then might be the last buying opportunity until things really skyrocket from there. Another graph here uh, through April and October of last year, monthly average effective rate growth for the U.S. was above 1% for each month. After a slight cooldown from November to February of this year, monthly average rent once again rose 
above 1% for both March and April. As previously mentioned, this renewed momentum in rent growth was a, despite a continued and increasing decline in apartment. You know, this part of this is just might be an inventory thing too, which, you know, is another factor in this. If units aren't being built or coming online, even if there's less demand for that month, you can still see the rents. Arbor had this article, housing market dynamics cause more renters to consider delaying home ownership. Factors is rising cost of home ownership, tighter mortgage, underrenting standards, and shifting attitudes towards lifestyle renting. That's a n- number two frustrating. Like you have people who have really good job applying to get mortgages, and it's they have they can't even get the money out and allocated, which is frustrating. But then again, it's I think that's what was the one stopgap put in there so that another two thousand eight wouldn't happen. But yeah, and I think. That's really a big thing and reason why I feel like things won't get ever like that again. It'll suddenly be something else, I'm sure. But government stopgap was put there so that no more ninja loans, no people that don't deserve anymore can get mortgages. Sure, the underwriting standards will always be loosening up very slowly over time, but definitely you're not going to, I don't think you're ever going to see a, just a money graph for just ninja loans again, which is a good thing if you're somebody who likes there's very steadily steadily if you're somebody who likes crypto and likes things that go up and down and think volatility is how you can get rich um not good for you i guess a C- cnbc reports that home affordability at the 2007 bubble levels but the cra- crash is unlike they're also quoting blackstone's joe's though which is their chief i think investment officer pretty high up their guy he says although that we're at that work back to those 2007 peak levels in terms of affordability, which is a composite between home prices and where interest rates are, what people can afford. Most homeowners aren't using their homes like an AT. If you're one of our investors, you sure as heck it because that's how you don't get lazy and actually use have your money work for you so you don't have to work and trade time for money. But you're doing it in a prudent manner where you're looking at debt service coverage ratios. Again, this article is talking about most people. So he's continuing on. He's saying that caused so many people to go upside down. The firm's chief investment strategy strategist told CNBC's Fast Money Online, the value of what they owed was greater than the value of their home. And that was the issue that happened in 2007, 2008, was that all these people got all these loans and were able to strip out all this equity and then things tipped over for other reasons. It says, historically, housing ends up being more highly correlated to labor markets than it is to mortgage rates. As long as the job markets remain relatively healthy, I think housing will be well. And I think what I like about these guys is they say something, but they put their money where their mouth is and they go out and buy, I don't know, like half a billion dollars of apartments or you know, they just bought, what, $505 million of hotels. And then he ends this book. The idea of having a national and prolonged drop in housing as the economy eventually rolls over, I think it's still a relatively low probability. Don Burns comments on the apartment demand doubling in household boom. Renters leased 700,000 additional apartments last year, more than doubling the five-year average. They also leased twice as many apartments in Q1 than, than in Q2 of last year. The three trends is pushing this forward is that a surge in household formation more than double the nation's historical known for apartment demand, record high occupancy, with seven. 100,000 units leased so far exceeded more than 335,000 new units delivered, so new inventory coming online, but that just wasn't enough. 
still in a housing shortage, supply shortage. Occupancy reached 97.6% in the first quarter, the highest rate on record. So I'm not seeing any recession if you're a landlord in an apartment, seeing that happen. If anything, recessions mean good things for investors because it will change between investors who do the buy, hope, and pray, invest in their own primary residence or just some dinky rental property versus commercial type of investments. The people who are going to get hurt in a recession are the people who are flipping houses or they're just going to lose a whole bunch of phantom money in their primary residence. So people who are cash flowing through this stuff are going to be people coming on top as the occupancy is very strong now and it'll probably be strong even through a recession. Where else are you going to put all these? Rising incomes is another uh, reason why household incomes rose 10% year over year. And this helped renters keep pace with the 14% average increasing in asking rents. Now, that's the monthly report. Again, check out the family office Hana Mastermind. If you guys are tired of going to the local real estate club or just interacting with people who you don't know personally and you need to find more deals, what to do in syndications, the passive investor, what to do legal, tax. We've created the epicenter of where passive investors to go. This this number is a little old. I think we're above like 90 members today. And all events going forward will cater towards family office group members. We're, we're starting to move to a point where at one point we, we had a lot of events where we would say, yeah, come back again. For the most part, it's going to be catered towards family office members. Um, so if you're not a part of that, we're not going to want really people loitering around events who just come and just never really opted to the more serious inner circle group in the future. The preceding offers general personal finance information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor's situation is unique. Always seek the services of professional tax and legal advisors before relying on any information you take your in. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk.